introduce our preacher this morning, Father McQueen, um, is a friend and uh, uh, lives and serves in Montgomery, and that's the introduction. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, first, to thank you to, to you, Father Ben Jeffries. I appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, preach in your pulpit, and I'm glad to be with you again. The last time I was here was uh, in pre-COVID in the, uh, the office building uh, almost two years ago. So it's, uh, it's good to be back with you again, and thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I look forward to being back with you on the second Sunday of January. So this is your trial run with me in the pulpit. So hopefully this will be a good one, and, uh, and I look forward to seeing you again next month. But I want to begin by uh, opening with the, the words that we heard uh, in our college this morning. And it, it's one of the treasures of the prayer book. The former dean of the Cathedral of the Advent in Birmingham, uh, Dr. Paul Zoll, uh, once said, if you want to know what Anglicans believe, read the colics. Read and pray the colics, and you will see and understand what Anglican theology is all about. And this morning, we come to one of probably the most familiar of the colics of the prayer book, and I am so glad that it was replaced to its proper place in the lectionary. 79 prayer book moved it to the very end of the church year, and thankfully, with the new 2019 prayer book, it was restored back to its original Advent to location. Now, in the older lectionary, it would, been, would have been paired with the epistle lesson where we would have heard the notion about all Scripture being God-breathed and necessary for our salvation. And I think it's a masterpiece of a prayer. We heard those words, and they are so familiar. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given through thy Son, Jesus Christ. Notice I kind of know that by heart. It's one of those ones that whenever I would do a Bible teaching or a Bible study, that's how I would always open because when you open the Scriptures, the prayer tells you what you're supposed to do. And this prayer and collect gives us that, that, that perfect affirmation that God is the very source of the writings that we know and hold on to as Holy Scripture. For we declare that God has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Now, there are some schools of thought and multiple schools of thought dealing with the notion of the divine inspiration of Holy Scripture. What does it mean to say that Scripture is divinely inspired? Well, there's, there's one school of thought that basically says the human authors have no real place, and, and it's all about God's words being written. And yes, that is exactly what this Bible on this pulpit lectern is. It is the Word of God written. But it's not as if God took Moses or David's or Luke's or Paul's hands and actually took hold of their hands and, and, and wrote the Scriptures out 
and the human authors had no play in it. I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. I think the human component of Holy Scripture is important. God didn't just whisper in their ears and they just mindlessly write down what they heard and that's the end of the story. Now granted, God could do all of that. And He did do all of that. But if you read the Psalms, if you pray the Psalms regularly, you understand, you hear David's human condition coming out of the Psalms. You hear the cries of his heart. You hear the pain that he is in. And one of the ways that I look at Scripture is I look at the words of God written, much like I know and understand and believe as a Christian that the Word of God made flesh is 100% human and 100% divine. I think the words of Holy Scripture are the exact same way. We must not discount the fact that our Scriptures that we hear and proclaim in church are both human and divine. So hold that intention as you think about that when you're in your own private prayer time, when you're doing your own Bible study hear those human voices coming out inspired by Almighty God. But what are we supposed to do beyond just looking at Scripture? We are actually handling God's Word. And thus, handling God's Word demands our utmost care, attention, and respect. Now, not to the extent that we feel like we can't engage with Scripture. That is what we're supposed to do. Father Jeffries and I do that every time we prepare a sermon. We wrestle with those texts. We try and ask ourselves the question, what was that author saying? What does God want me to say to you all? And what do you need to hear? We are wrestling with those things. What is God saying to us here in 2021, about to turn to the new year of 2022? What is He saying to us right here, right now? We have to wrestle with that. It's what we're called to do. But it's to be done with care, attention, and respect. So our first calling is to hear God's Word. Now, we had a lot of Scripture just read in a very short amount of time, and we hear a lot of Scripture being read in our services of public worship. Don't let anyone tell you that Anglicans don't know their Bible. They hear it read all the time. And they hear a lot of it. And then if you engage in the practice of morning and evening prayer, then you would hear even more of the Word of God. We have so many opportunities to hear from the pages of Scripture. Let us take advantage of those opportunities as often as we are able. But then we're not just supposed to hear God's Word. The colic tells us we need to do something next. We are to... Mark Scripture. Now, if in hearing the word mark in Scripture, if the notion of post-it notes and highlighters start to come to mind, that's exactly what I think Thomas Cranmer was talking about, even though highlighters and post-it notes weren't available in the 1500s when Thomas Cranmer composed this beautiful collect. But he's on to something. We are supposed to mark Holy Scriptures. We use that word regularly in our vernacular, do we not? Just this past month, 
well, I don't know that we had much of an election this past November, but certainly we will next year. What do we do when we go to the ballot box? We mark our ballots. Yes. What about someone who is wanted by the authorities? They are a marked man. Or, for the young ones in the group this morning, have you ever heard, mark my words, when I get home, you're going to hear from me. We use that word mark, and it's to call attention to something for future comparison to see how it measures up. The next task is to learn Scripture. And this is not simply memorization. While that is very, very important, we must memorize passages of Scripture in times when we are, are, are at our lowest, when we are losing hope. What do we need to do? We need to go back to the words of Scripture. We need to have those passages ready in our minds so that we can pray them when temptation comes our way. I'm sure that we can all remember back to our school days when we would simply know something for our test, and as soon as we turned the paper in, how much of that information was gone. No recollection whatsoever. I'm just glad I had it for the test. I hope I had it right, and it's gone. That's not what we mean by learning Scripture. We're not just learning something so that we can dispense with it later. We've all heard it said that learning is forever. And I'll bet you if, you, if I were to take a poll of the certain things that you've learned in school that has never left you, you can probably remember them today as vividly as when they were first taught you as a child. If you can think back to that teacher that made an impact on your life and taught you something, it stuck with you. That means you learned it. You didn't just have some various knowledge running through your head. You learned it. Think about it this way. We didn't simply, as children, memorize an alphabet. We were being given the tools to learn a language. We didn't simply multiply, uh, simply memorize multiplication tables. We learned some of the fundamental truths about mathematics. We didn't simply commit to memory bits and pieces of our nation's history. We learned what it was like to be citizens of a country. So I hope you see the difference between what Holy Scripture must be considered in that exact same vein, that learning means so much more than just memorizing something. But memorizing and being able to ace Bible drills at the end of the day isn't the end of the story. Learning and the final task of inwardly digesting gives us the tools to be able to apply what we first read and marked. When we inwardly digest something, it becomes fuel for living. When we digest our food, our bodies convert it to something that we can use to perform tasks in our everyday life. Think about the time that you've ever had the flu or been sick and unable to eat or receive any nourishment. What happens? You become lethargic, incapable of doing much more than lying in bed and simply existing. And yes, we men in the group take this uh, probably to the extreme while our wives are taking care of us, but I digress. But we're not simply born to lie in bed and exist, are we? We were 
created so that we could be the outpouring of God's love in the world. We are called to be His hands and His feet. We can't do that lethargic, sick, puny, weak. And the only way that we can do this is by feeding and being nourished by the accounts of what God was doing, that very thing Himself. So, how does the old saying go? You are what you eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world." It's exactly what we're preparing to do in just a few moments. We are come, coming to partake of that life-giving bread that Jesus gives, which is himself. One preacher on this collect made the following statement, When I eat food, I digest it. It becomes a part of me. It provides nourishment and sustains life itself. To digest the Bible is to use it as a, as a sustaining spiritual food for the soul and for the body. Cranmer wrote that the Bible is a book that is not for mere reading. It is a book for studying so that it can be applied. Otherwise, it is like swallowing food down without chewing and then spitting it back out again. What a statement. What a statement about what we are called to do to inwardly digest Scripture. So what does all this look like? Why commit to this type of engagement with what the world calls simply a book? Well, the answer comes at the concluding phrase of the collect when two concepts are used in conjunction with one another. Blessed hope and everlasting life. Blessed hope and everlasting life. Folks, ours is a world longing and yearning for not to be trite here, we are a people hoping for hope. We are a people that are longing for hope. We're in the midst of society that is looking for meaning, reality, truth, hope. One of the virtues of the season of Advent, hope is one of those great virtues of this liturgical season. The Christian faith is all of that and more. Our lives have meaning because we were created in the image and likeness of God. No other component of creation can claim that. We are unique. Only man was created in the image and likeness of the Creator Himself. Our lives have meaning because, because like the opposite poles of a magnet, the positive pole of God and the negative pole of man are constantly being attracted to one another. But we must remember God's position is fixed. And it's only when we reorient ourselves in the wrong direction that we actually repel that attraction that has, become, that has been there from the beginning. How many of you have ever tried to push two positive sides of a magnet? What do they do? They repel each other. When, when we try to become the positive pole of the magnet, when we try to become God, what happens? We are repelled from Him. It's only when we reorient ourselves that those magnets stick together. 
God is, of course, the ultimate source of reality because everything in creation was a part of his beautiful handiwork. And that which we see and experience here is just a shape and a glimpse of what that ultimately will look like. All that is good here can only be imagined in its purest and most glorious form. For the very God who created all things became a creature when he became incarnate and came to live as one of us and as we prepare to celebrate his coming once again at Christmas. The incarnate Lord that we await again said to us in the clearest of statements in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Finally, we have received hope beyond all hope because we receive the assurance that our lives do not end when we draw our final breath here on earth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, death has been defeated forever, and our death is in this life only marks the beginning of our eternal life with him. And that, and that was bought and paid for us and given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So in this season of Advent, let us take time to meditate on Holy Scripture, to pray Holy Scripture, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest Holy Scripture. Because as Thomas Cranmer said, if we do so, then by patience and comfort of that Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which Jesus gave us in the offering of himself and an outpouring of God's never-failing and never-ending love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.